Okay, so as many of you know, I just flew back from the new Wineskins Conference. You ready? And boy, are my arms tired. Sorry. Sorry. That has nothing to do with the sermon. It was just a terrible priest joke to warm up the congregation, right? In all seriousness, if you're not yet familiar with the new Wineskins Conference, it's a gathering of Anglican Christians from all over the world. This year, about 1,500 people from 50 different countries were in attendance. Bishops, priests, deacons, and laity gathered together around the Great Commission. It is well worth our time to attend. I really do hope that one day each and every one of you will go. One missionary said it this way. He said, since you won't hear anything on the major media outlets about the good news of the gospel and the good things that God is doing in this world, I guess you'll just have to come to New Wineskins to get the real story. He's not lying. He's not lying. We listen to incredible testimonies from Christian missionaries. One lady who has spent the last 40 years since graduating from college serving in South America. One man who left his budding career when he was 25 years old. That sounded a little familiar to me. Uh, This part didn't. He went to serve in Burundi, Africa, where he still is. We heard stories of missionaries confronting witch doctors who converted to Christianity and then the whole tribe became Christians. The power of one, the influence of one. We heard unspeakable stories about babies who were unwanted, rescued from God-awful conditions. We heard about planting churches in underground places like Iraq, and I'm pleased to say the work of this Anglican priest is coming to Christ the Redeemer. I talked to him after his uh, presentation, and we're going to commit to having him come here during the season of Advent to present his message and to proclaim the gospel in the sermon. Not only do I hope you all will come, but I hope many, many people will come and hear the good news of the gospel being witnessed in the country of Iraq. These Christians are the epitome of this sermon series that we're preaching on discipleship. They've answered the call to follow Jesus Christ. Their lives have been converted to the gospel of salvation, and they have wholeheartedly embraced the content of Christianity. In fact, I really loved one of the phrases that I heard this week. You may hear it again more than once in the sermon. One of the missionaries said that five steps, five steps of living in obedience to Jesus Christ is worth 10 years of studying about obedience in the Scriptures. Simply put, these men and women, they are the Great Commission They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are on a God-given mission to make a difference, a difference that does indeed affect this world for good, but more than that, the gospel they preach makes a difference for all of eternity. The gospel impacts eternity. So as we come to this last sermon in this series on discipleship, As we explore once more what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to say, and I think you know even as you heard it, this gospel's reading this morning is about as plain spoken as it gets. 
It's an incisive story given to us in Holy Scripture. Another opportunity to learn about what it means to be a disciple and as another missionary said, to read, to obey, and to share. It's so simple, isn't it? Read, obey, and share. This, as we know, is the story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16 of a rich man and Lazarus. It's the story of one man who thought he had it all and of another man who seemed to have nothing at all and a sobering revelation that invites each one of us to take stock of our lives. Jesus makes this contrast between these two men in uncomfortably obvious ways. A rich man who enjoyed every luxury that this life has to offer. He wore the finest clothes. He ate the finest foods. And Lazarus, who was not only described as poor, but the Bible says he longed to eat the scraps of food that fell off of that rich man's table. And not only that, Jesus goes on to describe how Lazarus is covered with sores. And not only is he covered with sores, but the dogs come and they lick his wounds. Can you imagine what a wretched sight? Can you imagine what an awful condition? Can you imagine being Lazarus? Yet in a shocking reversal of fortune, it's not the rich man who enters the pearly gates of eternity. It's the poor man who's carried to Abraham's side. It's the rich man who ends up in torment, and not just torment, but eternal torment. Now it's the rich man who's begging. First pleading with Abraham, get this, he wants Abraham to send Lazarus to him. Just, just have Lazarus dip his finger in the water and that he might touch my tongue and cool my anguish. I, you could preach a whole sermon on how audacious that is, but I think you get the idea. And then pleading with Abraham again, if he won't send Lazarus to relieve his torment, maybe he'll send Lazarus to help his family, to save them from suffering his same fate. Again, Abraham denies the rich man's request, and again, even a third time, he denies his request. My friends, there there are so many great rabbit trails we could chase in this story. The fact that the poor man has a name and the rich man does not. The meaning of the name Lazarus and the significance of that. The symbolism of the dogs. The significance of Abraham and the list goes on. But for our purposes this morning, for our call to be disciples of Jesus Christ on this day, for our participation in the Great Commission, there is one thing we cannot fail to see about this story. This story is a story about heaven, and this story is a story about hell. To put an even finer point on the pencil, the weight of the story is actually on the torture and the torment of hell. And Jesus warning, therefore, to avoid it at all costs. Can you imagine spending all of eternity in hell? I can't imagine eternity let alone spending it in hell. Jesus tells us hell is a place of anguish and torment. Clearly the rich man was suffering, he was in agony, but what's even worse is that hell is final. 
It's not just that the rich man was suffering in hell, it's that his suffering is eternal. It will now go on forever and ever and ever and ever, and I can't put enough evers at the end of that sentence to begin to describe that awful reality. That's the bad news. The bad news is that hell is fatal. The bad news is that hell is final. Once the rich man entered into the eternity of hell, it was too late to repent. No matter how much he pleaded, no matter how much he begged, Jesus is clear. The chasm between heaven and hell is fixed. He says, if you're there, you can't come here, and if you are here, you cannot go there. But my friends, enough of the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is that we can get it right now. The good news is that Jesus wants us to be in heaven with him for all of eternity. The Bible says this in Ezekiel. God says, I desire not the death of a sinner, but rather that he would turn from his wickedness and live. That's the desire of God's heart. And so because God wants us to be with him, he's made a way for us to be with him. You know the scripture We talk about it as goalpost theology in seminary, for God so loved the world. Just kick it through the uprights, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all who believe in him should not what? Should not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. So here's the problem with the rich man. The problem And let's be clear about this. The problem is not that he was rich. That's not the problem. The problem is that he didn't know why he was rich. The problem with the rich man was that he believed a lie. Somewhere in his life, he came to believe that the wealth that God allowed him to have was meant for him. You remember the parable? Lazarus lay there at his gate every single day, and the rich man simply ignored him. Somewhere he became, uh, came to believe that his wealth was a sign of God's favor. That was some of the Old Testament Jewish theology. Somehow he came to believe that the more he had, the more blessed he thought he was. Somehow he forgot that God gave it to him. Somehow he forgot that God gave him his wealth that God through him might show forth his goodness, his grace, and his glory. Somehow that rich man forgot that God gave him that money so that that rich man might make manifest the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. You see, if that rich man had just been in church with us last Sunday, or even been in church with us on this Sunday, he would have heard Jesus say what we heard him say, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. No one, no one can serve both God and money. Here's the point, and the point's pretty simple. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. Whatever that lie may be, we don't all buy the same lies, but the whole point of the biblical narrative is that when Adam and Eve bought the lie of the devil that sin and death 
entered the world and they bound themselves to it because they did what? They bought the lie. Don't buy the lie. When we buy the lie, we bind ourselves to sin and death and we are at risk of that eternal torment apart from God. So my friends, if you never knew it before, this is what we Christians are commissioned to do. Here it is. Your job, my job, our job as great commissioned Christians, our God-given task right here at Christ the Redeemer Anglican Church in Southwest Fort Worth in the sprawling shopping center that God has given us to call home, our God-given task is to actually storm the gates of hell with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your God-given job as a great commissioned Christian. At the very beginning of his ministry, and we heard it echoed in the psalm this morning, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have come to preach good news to the poor. I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, and to declare, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Another missionary I listened to lots of them over the last couple of days. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. Another missionary said it this way. I love it. He said, to confess Christ, to confess Christ is to confront evil. To confess Christ is to confront evil. I love that. I love that. That means we get to partner with Jesus in storming the gates of hell. And Jesus says this, the gates of hell cannot stand against it. They fall every time. So I'll close with one more story I heard from another missionary at New Wineskins. Another missionary told us about a Roman Catholic priest. This priest lived and worked somewhere in Latin America, and he was struggling to understand a verse in Scripture. I've forgotten which one it was, but I'll come back to that at some point. So in his prayers one day, he, learned that he heard the Lord tell him to go. He told him to go, and he told him to go down to the local prison and to stand outside of it. And, and you get a little bit of a sense here of Jesus, um, Jer- uh, Joshua and the walls of Jericho, right? A little bit like that. He was to go down to a local prison, he was to stand outside of it, and he was to take three things with him on his mission. A Bible, a bullhorn, and a small band of Christians. No, that's not the setup for a joke. This is a real story. That's what he was supposed to take with him. He thought it was ridiculous. How many of you think that would be ridiculous if God told you to do that? I would. But he decided to obey anyway. What did we say? Five steps of obedience is worth ten years of studying about it. So he stood outside that prison and that small band of Christians opened the Bible and they started to read just two verses. Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. Those verses say this. Those verses say that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Philippians 2, 10, and 11 says. So over and over, they read those verses and sounded... Can you imagine how ridiculous they must have felt? 
It made the prisoners so angry that they started yelling at them. It agitated them so badly that they started taking off their shoes and throwing them through the bars of the prison windows at this priest and this small band of missionaries with their Bible and their bullhorn. They kept going. They weren't really sure why they were supposed to keep going. Ninety minutes later, ninety minutes later, every one of those prisoners bowed his knee and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, don't leave here this morning the same way you came in. And I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. Don't listen to these stories and leave here the same way you came in. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, is asking us to join him in mission. A mission to declare the good news of the gospel. Do you remember what I said? Five steps of obedience is worth 10 years of studying about obedience. So here's the question. What step of obedience is Jesus asking you to take this week as you walk out these doors? What step? What's he asking you to do? Who do you know that needs to hear the gospel of salvation? If these missionaries can give their lives at great cost around the world, can't we, by their witness, be inspired to give our lives at some cost to ourselves here in Fort Worth for the sake of the gospel? Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is to confess Jesus which confronts the evils of this world. It is to storm the gates of hell with the proclamation of the good news that Christ is alive, that he loves you, that he forgives you, that he wants to be with you for all of eternity, and so let us join him in the great commission that he's given to each and every one of us as baptized Christians.